Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm sitting down here with Anthony Coppich. He is the Principal Agile Digital Sales Global Transformation Lead at IBM. Simply put, he has led the vision to execution of how business agility is infused in digital sales. He has over 25 years of experience in sales, marketing, and operations. Anthony, thanks for being on the show. It's fun to be back again, Sean. I know it's it's been a while. It's been about two or three years in the in the early episodes where um, I was just a fledgling solo podcast or whatever you want to call <laughs> it. And so I really appreciate you, uh, you know, being on talking about your experience yet again, um, 2.0 of this. And so um, I think we're just going to dive right into the questions here um, because I, I think you have a lot to talk about, a lot that you've done in the last few years. And so. You know, the biggest thing is, is just kind of starting out of the gate here is that you wanted to kind of talk about of clarity of outcomes deliver great or for great client value. And I think that's been kind of very paramount of how we've kind of over um, automized and we just we're just overloaded with automation. And so it's kind of and, and seeing it from your approach in the green room that you kind of went down um, and just said, how do we reverse engineer this? And so the first question is. What is the process to gain clarity of outcomes for better customer experience? Yeah, you'd start with the customer first. So it's not a it's not a target for your revenue. It's not a quota to attain. Um, it's it's not even a CX journey that you're trying to map out. Uh, you eventually get to that, by the way. But what you're really starting with is there's only two reasons you're in, in uh, talking with the client. There's only two reasons to engage with the client. You're solving a pain point and or you're addressing a growth opportunity. Full stop. So there's there's a need to say, well, in order to address the opportunity, what do we need to do? And that's where value comes in. Because if you create a value proposition, something that says we create value that either reduces, eliminates or mitigates the pain in some way and or creates a growth opportunity. Now we're speaking of what's in it for them, not what's in it for me. Right. So. As a business, we want to and need to have revenue and profitability. Of course we do. But that should be the byproduct, not the point. And so I'm following the, the thinking of like Steve Den Denning when he talks about the idea of moving from shareholder value to client value. And so I say that we leverage uh, some management systems and, and tools in order to understand, do we have clarity with alignment for creating and delivering value rather than did we do a thing? Do we release a thing? Is is something now working or not? I mean, these are things that are fine, but they're not the point. They're they're total means to the end. So when I talk about it, I say we exist to create and deliver value. And if we can do that consistently and at scale, we're going to win a lot. But our winning is really based on is the client winning, not did we make the sale. The sale isn't the win. Um, and, and I'll stop there. I have a, a fun story we can talk about later, but that would be the essence of that answer. Definitely. It goes from uh, the me, me mentality to the we mentality of how do we all to succeed? They, sure, it is win-win, but, but I, would, I would say they need to win, right? Because if they're winning, assuming we're priced appropriately and have a decent product or service, we win too, right? So mm -hmm. th this is not a price thing. This is a value thing. Exactly. Um, so kind of going into things, or you kind of mentioned in the green room, we we're kind of talking about feedback loops, which was kind of interesting. And so the question is, is, you know, what is the hardest process with, you know, business agility in the sense of how do you how do you get started and how do you kind of build execution around that as well as, you know, let's, you know, kind of diving deeper into those feedback loops that you've kind of mentioned. I think that was kind of the culmination of kind of the 
how, how to kind of build and start building once you have switched from a me mentality to a they mentality. Yeah. So the management model uh, that I've, I've done, and, and I use the term model and not framework because I like what the mathematician uh, George Box said. He said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And so I like that thinking that I'm going to try to build a model that we can work on and knowing it's not going to be perfect or, or even necessarily correct the first time, but the, the idea of iteration to say, we started with this in mind, what are we learning? And it's that iterative learning process, that continuous improvement loop that I find to be very, very valuable. So the model I've created is business agility with OKRs. That's objectives and key results, which is a management system that was created by Andy Grove at Intel back in the day. And then a guy named John Doerr wrote a book called Measure What Matters, which is just like, that's required reading in my opinion. And, and what I've done is that model is about creating a viable outcome-focused workflow prioritization for improving the quality, the speed, the predictability, the transparency, the adaptability of organizations and their teams. So when all that's happening, we're probably delivering value. When any one of those is not happening, we're at risk of delivering an output, but not towards an actual outcome. And I'm not satisfied saying we checked boxes. I'm satisfied when we delivered value and we can validate that with feedback from our, our, our clients, our business partners and our teams. I love it. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen, there's a lot of processes going into where they're like, let's just check the box. Okay. We got this done. We got this done, but it doesn't go to building a validity of what you're actually doing. And so this goes right to the next question is how do you define great client value? that it helps them serve their clients well. Whether that's a back-end infrastructure thing or a front-end user experience or how you go about delivering your product or even how you go about uh, servicing your products or services, it doesn't really matter which aspect of the, of the chain we're in there. What we're really talking about is we're not really truly successful unless and until they're successful. What that probably means is that the service level agreements, the SLAs, that we say when you purchase, this is what we understand to be the value you need and how we're going to get it. Now, I'm generally talking B2B, right? Because you're looking at not just a transactional sale, usually you're looking at some sort of longer thing. But but it also works in transactional too, because what you're talking about is, do they feel like that was high value? Now, the feedback loop is much faster in B2C than B2B. Like in, in, and you can go to an Amazon review, for example, and see what was the review on it, right? That social proof is faster validation than we would normally get in the B2B cycle. But, but the principle is the same. How do we know? It's because they have predefined when we're talking about them, does this solve the pain and or create a growth opportunity for you? And if the answer is yes, to what extent? How much better? And in B2C transactional products, it's a five-star rating, right, out of five. Um, in B2B, it's your churn goes down. Your renewals go up. The expansion goes up because it's not that we sold more. It's byproduct. It's that they saw value and wanted more value, right? That this is the focus. That we, we, we typically look at five things. We look at like how many new logos did we get and what was our customer NPS score and um, what are the things that we're doing to retain customers and what is our current number of customers that would promote us and what's the lifetime value of the customers? And I say, those are all what's in it for us. Flip them. 
If you took those same five and said, of the new logos, what percentage of them are now able to go do something they couldn't do before or stop having the pain they were having? What is that percentage, right? Because now instead of saying, what was the conversion rate from qualified lead to lead to, you know, or lead to qualified lead to customer. Now I say, of those who went through that process, what was the percentage of them that are, because we're asking, because we're, we're following up, what is it that they're telling us they're experiencing as a result? And and if it's not great yet, we reach out and say, so how do we make it great, right? There's there's always that that never-ending feedback loop that says we're looking to create a great, consistent customer experience. And again, in B two B, this is a much longer tail, but the principles identical. So my main purpose in doing all this is for the internally for our teams, because this is what people are listening for on the podcast. So how do you go do that, right? Lead people so that you can help develop them into the best version of themselves. Because if you're more interested in who they are than what they do, what they do will improve. So the empathetic leader then it becomes an important, critical part of this. And management shifts from telling people what to do and inspecting to make sure it's done to, hey, how do I help you succeed? What's in your way that I can remove? And how can I skill you up so that you're even more successful? Full stop. Those are... These are, you know, yin and yang. These are two sides of a coin. And I'm saying flip the coin over and say your profitability will happen if you focus on the value. You're focused on the profitability. I'm not focused on the value. And I want people to understand that if you will just make that shift, that is a mindset shift followed by an implementation, systems, processes, and actions with feedback validation to know that it is or isn't happening. If you make that shift over time, what you do is you shift not just the way you go to market, you shift the very value of your brand. I love it. I love how you're, you've incorporated mindset because that's a huge thing that's kind of going around, not just an individual perspective, but also business perspective, but how you're, at, you're, you're educating and you're talking about the execution of here are the small pivots in order to change this. And then here is how you can execute towards this. Yep. So no more grilling questions here, but kind of going back to the share your story, if you kind of mentioned, you know, early on with um, you wanted to go into this deeper in the sense of like, you know, understanding, you know, you know, not about revenue and quota and, and not about the customer journey, but you know how to map it out, but kind of more of the kind of the reasons why Do you want to kind of share an story of how you encapsulate what you've been kind of talking about on the execution side and, and what was kind of the result of that? That's a big question. There's a lot to that to unpack. Um, <laughs> well, just um, even the I, sense of feedback loops in the sense that you, you went in the green room, you kind of narrowed in on certain ways to talk about, like, how do we flip the perspective and pivot the perspective for the sales folks? And then what was the feedback loop in the sense of what did you integrate? And then what was kind of the end result of that? Well, I can give you a couple of examples of that, and I'll, and I'll talk about how that works. So... I personally believe sales is completely ineffective um, or min that's not fair. I believe sales is limited in their effectiveness. They put a glass ceiling on themselves when they're not directly partnered with marketing. Now, in most organizations I've been in, small or large, enterprise or little business, it's the same. In most of them, there is a conflict between sales and marketing. If marketing would only give us better leads, we would have this. If if sales would only follow up on what we sent them, they're like, why would I follow up on a bad lead? Just you know, so you have this whole blame cycle. And what I say is, no, let's share our vision for how we're going to go to market. So there's a way that we agree that for the benefit of the client, 
We need to. Now, I write these out with our teams as um, North Stars. Why does that team exist? But I like cross-functional teams. So an example, just from today, for example, I was working with a team that has marketing, brand, and sales all on the same team, right? And what they're doing is that the marketing person, or two people in this case, go back to marketing teams. Those teams don't report into sales. But what they're doing is they're saying, hey, if we're trying to build this customer experience and we're building these automation workflows online um, and we're doing this customer experience and, and making it easier to, to understand uh, how do I self-identify their pain points or whatever, then my marketing teams need to go do X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to be the liaison. I'm going to be the coordinator of that and let you know the limitations or the, or the uh, dependencies we have so that in this work that you're doing, you can see our partnership in action and what that looks like. Meanwhile, the brand who owns the product and the product owners are saying, well, we, but, but the product roadmap doesn't allow for X. So if you're going to promote that, that would mean we would need to build Y or, or whatever it looks like. Right. So it creates this shared view of why are we doing this and how are we going to do it together? Not individually is the work unique. Sure. So there are discrete key results for marketing. There are discrete key results for sales and there are discrete key results for the brand, the product owners. What is a key result? Kind of like a measurable and time bound way to understand the delivery, the creation and delivery of value against a known objective. So it's the child to an objective. So I still have objective, but we have a shared objective now. So marketing has the same objective that sales has, that the brand has. So because we have that shared un understanding, we now say, well, what is that? Well, that's an aspirational and inspirational way to know that we are focused on something of value to the client, right? So that might be an internal process. We may need to solve something internally so that it works better for the client on the front end. We may need to get our ducks in a row here, and part of our effort is doing stuff the client will never see, but it will benefit their experience because we're solving something so that they don't have to. We're, we're, we're roughing the edges. We're smoothing the edges of, out so their experience is seamless. The joke I use for this, by the way, and this is I say it's a joke because it's true. It's why it's funny, is that I've yet to meet a client who says, you know, when I go to your website, what I'm really looking for is to be super qualified by your chatbot so that you can pass me off and I can get into a nurture program because, gosh, I need a drip campaign. And once that drip campaign has really shown me the value, I would love to have a pre-sales conversation so that you could pass me to a business partner wherein I can go build that relationship and get a quote so that I can purchase your product or service. No one says that, right? But that's exactly what most companies make people do, especially as in larger B2B kind of organizations. That That is a, that's just like, well, that's, that's how it works, Anthony. It may work that way, but the client can never feel that, right? So our job would be how much of our work internally is figuring out how to make it a seamless client experience, seamless prospect experience, where they just interact with the brand. They don't think about, they're not exposed to the, the, the left hand and the right hand and the other right hand. They just have a seamless, I'm interested in having this problem solved. Can you help me do that? Well, look, da, 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 and my problem solved. That should be much easier. We're building ways of doing that that help us do that at scale. Uh, a boss of mine named um, Andrew Burroughs, just a genius guy um, at IBM, former IBMer, used to ask me this question when I'd come to him with all these great ideas, right? Come with these great ideas. And he'd say, that's awesome. Does it scale? Because 
we can't go with a one-off that doesn't scale. We're too big. And so the, the ideas had to be scalable and it had to be transferable. And that was a bigger challenge than I originally understood. So I had to learn to say, well, we've, we've, our, our hypothesis is we've tested X and he goes, great. Does that scale? Yes. And here's how, because people don't scale systems and processes do. So we had to figure that out along the way. And the feedback loops you talked about, which is the other part of this question, and I'm taking a long time to answer. I apologize. But the other side of that is the feedback loops. I look at this way. Feedback is a gift. We've all heard that phrase. It's true. Feedback is a gift, but aggregated feedback is actionable intelligence. So how do we capture feedback from many different data sources, understand those, um, make them understandable using a Galileo quote there, right? Measure what is measurable and make measurable that which is not. Um, so how do we understand those? And how do I come around and say, I can make quantifiable data from qualified data? Because I can, if I'm willing to do that work. Well, we've done that. And what we have now is, is a very large set of data coming from multiple sources that we can correlate to understand over time something that looks closer to causality, right? It's, it's more like this. It's less like that. It's a barometer instead of a thermometer, but it's a very helpful set of indicators that teach us how to turn left or turn right. And that is really the point of all this, Sean. We're, we're trying to learn how to learn faster and better. Because if we do that, we'll perform better. Performance then is the byproduct. You can see then, therefore, that revenue and profitability are the byproduct of what? Of learning better to do what? Deliver and cre create and deliver client value. I love the story. I loved how you, you're you just throwing like scientific people in here, just interjecting. I, I really love how you throw in and, and just give a tribute to other people who are like, hey, I tested this out. I've done this. And here's my train of thought. But here's my train of thought of like, this is how... I took this and expounded on it. And I think that it shows a real life long learner there that you you've encapsulated this. So now this is the about you section where now it's not just and how you capsulate, but how do you operate? Like what are your, what are your ultimate drivers? What is your, your qualitative into your quantitative kind of atmosphere? How do you build consistency and different what things? What a great question. And how, yeah. And how do you, and what's your passions towards things? And so, I'm a why down. guy, Sean. Yep. Work, yeah, work hobby know. health. Like, tell me, tell me your why. Tell me your why's in your health. house. I'm a why and why not guy. I have to understand why and why not. I don't accept status quo. In fact, I, I loathe it. I love to, um, I love to be the guy who undermines status quo. I want to be the subterfuge. Uh, person inside the status quo, uh, just to wreak havoc on it, because I value the opportunity to learn, grow, and lead, full stop. So I value learning from those who are further down the path and from those on divergent paths. And I, you just mentioned that a little bit in your previous statement about me quoting other people. I'm unsatisfied, dissatisfied, frustrated with, disgusted by the status quo. But I see organizational change as more than change for the sake of change. I, I see a delineation between leadership, which is inspiring others, and management, which is organizing workflow and removing obstacles. Um, and I have a desire to do more than move people on an organizational chessboard, right? What I want to do is help people be the best versions of themselves. And we can then use that to say, how do we then build the best versions of our organization and our processes and our workflows? Why? for the benefit of someone else. See, I think the real value of servant leadership is that first word. Are you serving? 
and whom are you serving? So for me, I have a span of care. I don't have a span of control. I have a span of care. So who do I get to care for? And what does that look like? Um, very, very important for me to do that. So the, the three questions that you asked, um, I think the work aspect of it is that the hobby aspect is building things that go beyond me, legacy. So part of that is relational. I'm, I'm relational to the core. My top five strengths are strategic, ideation, activator, whether you're in command. So I want I want a legacy not of my life, but of others. I want to, my life would be a reflection of serving others. That would really be my legacy. But uh, the point's not to look at me. It's the point is to look at what happens with others. The most powerful question I was ever asked um, by my, my therapist, a guy named Bob Hamp, was what if it's not? And I love this question. I use it all the time. Because people come in with assumptions or even strongly held beliefs uh, that they hold to be absolutely true and unbendable. And I say, but what if it's not? Just work with me theoretically. What if it's not? And if you have to answer that question, if you're open-minded enough to go, well, even though I believe it is, but theoretically, if it's not, it would also mean now you're open to having the critical thinking and the discussion about what could be possible. Because our views are always biased and always limited. We're human. So the key is not to limit ourselves on our biases, our beliefs. The key is to leverage those to have really great discussion about what could be. Because if we stick with what we have, we'll never get where we, where we could be, right? You, doing what you've always done will never get you to where you want to be. It'll just keep you where you are. So you have to break that. So for me, I think the, the, the hobby part is... It's, it's less hobby and just the expression of who I am. I don't, I don't know that I have a hobby per se. It's more the way I like to be is to be with and around others and be an influence and sponge of others. Both. I think it's, it's a both and uh, health. So this actually applies to work and personal. So to me, health is holistic. So there is mind, body, spirit, or whatever you want to call those three pieces. I think there's a trinity of those that it makes it very easy to understand the human. And, and what I'm looking for is to understand what makes you, you, and I'm focusing on intrinsic motivations, not extrinsic motivations. So I want to know, but why, what makes you tick that way? What really motivates not you from the outside, but from the inside, what's your, what's your juice? What's the fuel for you? And a lot of people think that their fuel is mostly extrinsic. They think that, well, it's revenue, it's uh, it's my salary, it's my bonus, it's my position or job title or experience or who I work for or where I work or what I do. And those are reflections of you, but they're not you. So what I want to know is how do you bring the best version of you to all that you do, including what you do? Because what you do is not who you are. By the way, I'm 51 now as of recording to this podcast. I I didn't figure this out till really late in life. So this has all been a journey of, I, I feel like my expertise comes in one flavor, which is I can show you exactly what not to do, right? Because I've done that. Um, so I want to be helpful about what you shouldn't do and then give you the opportunity to tell me what you think you could do. I don't want to tell you what to do. I'm just not interested in that. So I want to have the health focus be, do we create psychological safety at work? Because that's health. We have a culture that values people for who they are, where they are, because everybody's a 10 on a one to 10 scale, we're 10 being ultimate. Everybody's a 10 somewhere. Are you working in a role? Are you doing a job? Are you being the kind of person that makes you a 10 for, for the benefit of others? By the way, you benefit when you do that. It does, does help. But those intrinsic motivations become the critical thing that I want to understand. 
because now I understand a little bit more about how to engage with you and how to work with you. What I can expect when I, when I ask a certain question to Sean versus Eric, and I know that the same question is going to get not just two answers, but two different points of view about the question. That's delightful. And so in this world of standardization, norms, and automation, we still have to have the uniqueness that we value. And I want that to be the in our work, life, um, personal. I, there is a continuum, not a balance to achieve, right? That's a, that's a tension to manage, not a, not a problem to solve. There is no such thing as work-life balance. You have work-life integration, but you're you no matter where you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So how do we understand you? How do you understand you? So there's a lot of that empathetic leadership stuff that I've asked questions about. Hey, but yeah, thanks for telling me about this. But but how's Sean? Hey, Eric, thanks for sharing with me about this thing you just did. That's really cool. How do you feel about that? What's going on in your head and heart about that? Do you feel fulfilled by accomplishing that? This gets to the intrinsic motivation of not did you do the thing or even was it successful? It leads to how are you? Because I'm interested in that. If I really want to know that, guess what? You're probably going to share more with me and I'm going to understand how to work with you better. And we're probably going to build some really awesome stuff. We're probably going to create some great value. We're probably going to understand ways to work that are completely different from the way we've been working, not because it's wrong, but because we're trying to make everybody the same. I don't want everybody the same. I want our consistency and ease of working to be very similar. I want clarity with alignment, but I don't want it to look like cookie cutter. It needs to have that flexibility, which is why I say I build models, not frameworks. It's not scrum. It's not safe. It's not, it's can we work together and figure out ways of working that everybody wins starting with, are we creating delivering value for others over ourselves? Those are my answers. I think you put it really eloquently in the sense of building models, not framework. From the very first question all the way down to the about you of the why in the sense that it is an ecosystem. It is not a set process. It's not a fixated um, thing that can't be dismantled or redone that you're, you're, you're constantly learning. Like you said, you're constantly learning in sponge and just kind of going through the interest, intrinsic um, values of what people place and in the sense of what's intrinsic, what's external. And so Anthony, you, Gave a lot of thought. I'm almost like you're like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of business agility and and and, and like building yeah and building models and, and you you have the voice too and you got the turtleneck going on for the people that are going to see the photo <laughs> but not see the video. <laughs> and so I just wanted to thank you for being on this episode, just to encapsulate this moment of sharing yourself and your intrinsic value, and and I think this will really inspire other people to really understand not just themselves but how do they work within, you know something like some company like IBM all the way down to how am I supposed to, you know, even if they're, they're doing their own business. Yeah. How do I start it up in my garage? Right. Exactly. And it all comes down to what's their why in the sense, but you, you put in eloquently the, the, the why, but going deeper in the sense of how do I execute and how do I pressure test and what do I need to build out and how, and just even your point of view of how you see the world, because I bet there's a few people out there that are like, I never thought about that way. And you're, you're several steps down the road and you're like, you know what, this is how I can help. And this is what I've done. And so Anthony, I really appreciate you being on this episode. It's really been fun. The thing I would leave people with is this thought right here. There is always someone who's gone somewhere ahead of you. You know what that is? That's not competition. That's hope. 
because it proves it's possible. So if I happen to be a few steps ahead of where some of you are that are listening, that's hope because it proves you can do something too. I'm still learning from people that are several steps ahead of me. Some of them are light years ahead of me. So know thyself. Do you remember that scene in the matrix when uh, the Oracle is talking to Neo and above the door, when she makes the cookies in episode one, it says Temet Noske. It says Latin. It translates to know thyself. I, I know myself now. And, and this self-discovery is super important. You need to know yourself. So for me, I, I value data-influenced and, and, and data-modeled uh, situations because I like using data to, to understand why. I have an odd penchant for Chips Deluxe cookies. I think they're great. Um, I have an odd penchant for Oxford commas. Um, you know, the difference between, um, you know, I ate grandma and I ate grandma. So <laughs> there's, you know, there's a number of these. So I see the future is not just agile, but it's being people-centric, customer-centric. And then a business agility helps us know that we're, we are focusing in those ways. But you got to know you and you got to know your team. So my hope is that beyond all this stuff, that you walk away thinking about how you can know yourself and know others more than anything else in this podcast. Thank you so much. And leaving it like this to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. Yeah.